Hello and welcome to another episode of That 60s Recording Podcast, the podcast that has conversations inspired by the golden era of recording. Before we dive in to the second part of my conversation with Nawan Zai, I'd like to tell you about something that uh, I've got going on. Um, I don't have any sponsors for this podcast um, at all. <laughs> um, and I, I haven't really ever tried to get any sponsors. Um, and this is probably the closest thing I will get to, to having a sponsor, unless you want to call the sessions and stuff I do as a, a sponsor. I don't know. This might be the closest thing I've got. Essentially, me and a friend of mine have started a new instrument cable company called Mojo Cables, M-O-J-O. Um, and we have a website, mojocables.com. Super simple cables. They're instrument cables. There's four colors. Um, we... We started this for two reasons. Basically, as a studio owner, I was fed up of cables breaking and I was pretty confident I could do a better job at making cables. Um, Matty, who started it with me, is a an electrician. So what better person to talk to cables about? So we did some research about capacitance and all this kind of stuff. And um, we settled on some top quality Van Damme cable. And I also had a very particular... Uh, preferences for the type of connectors I wanted to use. I do not like the thick connectors very much. They tend to bend and they, they're they just awkward. So I wanted to have the thin meta, uh, metal connectors. So we found our favorite ones of those, which are Rian, and they're made by Neutrik. Um, and then we hand solder every cable and um, test it. And we silicon seal the cable um, and then we heat shrink around the silicon. And uh, yeah, it's basically all done with love and care. And we really enjoy doing it. And we are so confident in these cables that each one comes with a lifetime guarantee. And they're all made by us. They're all tested by us. Um, yeah, everything's done in uh, in our houses in Leeds in the UK. Um, the second reason we set the company up is because during the lockdown, Everyone's mental health suffered, and mine was no exception. Um, and Matty's was no exception. And we decided it would be a... We were looking for something relatively mindful to do. And we decided that being... Uh, soldering, essentially, would be a nice mindful activity. So that's how we started doing it. We thought we'd make a few XLRs and a few jack leads for, for my studio, essentially. And then we we sort of got more into it and more into it. And uh, and that's why we've done it. So we spend, you know, I'd go to Matty's house on a on a you know weekday morning at eight o'clock, and we would solder for six or seven hours and make these cables up and uh, just you know shoot shit <laughs> basically, um, and then we'd have a couple of beers and then that would be that. And what an amazing thing to do for your mental health. It was it was what we needed. It was exactly what we needed. I needed to get out of the house. I needed to speak to somebody about just nothing essentially and do something well mindless slash mindful um if that makes any sense so i urge you to go and check these cables out we're really really proud of them um so if you go to mojocables.com and you can check out uh all well, the four <laughs> the four colors that we've chosen which we think are the coolest colors um and each one comes with a, a little handwritten uh sort of quality check and all that kind of stuff from us um, so please go and check those out um, and you can order directly from there. Right, I'll stop babbling 
and uh, let this episode uh, get on with the uh, the main attraction. So the second part of my conversation with Nao and Zai. What um? So uh, at what point did you get interested in? any form of recording you mentioned when you were working at when you set the studio up first yeah, yeah. you weren't so, you weren't a recording engineer at that time yeah i i just um don't know why but somehow i like record the sound mm-hmm. since i was a kid when i was 12 years old my i got birthday present which was the newest technology then which is a cassette radio Okay. Radio cassette recorder. Yeah. It's monoral. <laughs> Not even stereo, right? <laughs> that, that was quite a big thing for me. Like, I can record the sound and play back. <laughs> you know? So at the start of my recording career. <laughs> so, and then a few years later, or maybe four or five years later, I got another radio cassette recorder, but in this time, stereo. Nice. <laughs> a, a good upgrade, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Growing with the technology. <laughs> so, <laughs> in the middle of the, my high school days, like when I was 17 or something, Roland started the contest of the uh, sound made with a synthesizer. Okay. So I need to record something. But I only have the two cassette radio. So I use the two cassette radio playing my Yamaha CSRI. And I didn't have a knowledge of the line recording. Mm-hmm. Actually, that, I don't think that cassette radio has a line input. Okay. Just a built-in mic and yeah. or the radio to the cassette recording. So what I've done is a, I had a biggish amp to play in the band with the synths. So I put the cassette radio recorder in front of the amp, press record. <laughs> then <laughs> next time, play back from the mono cassette player yeah. and play another phrase from the amp and using a stereo record, you know, cassette <laughs> radio in front of those two things. Together. You know yes. what I mean? Yeah, I love that, this. That's the very basic of what I was recording the multiple synthesizer <laughs> wow how did you get on in the competition no i couldn't win at all <laughs> <laughs> but i kind of yeah i don't have the material now but the what i've done then was a kind of drone sound with a big sound effect mm-hmm. i still remember what i made is a big tree cut down and and crash onto the ground kind of noise. Oh, cool. I made with the synths. And then only effect I had is spring reverb of the amplifier. Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> that's all we could do. But I kind of made it good. And I made it stereo, like a trees going, falling down from left to right. Kind of thing, moving <laughs> amazing, <the> amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, for me then, it was, I was quite proud of what I've done. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, but I couldn't win, though. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that is the first recording I've done, yeah. So then w- at what stage did you start 
recording <laughs> music rather than trees. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I think it was when I was around 19 years old, 20 years old. Uh, at that time, just around that time, the Tascam started making a cassette for track. Mm-hmm. They're the first affordable multi-track recorder yeah. on the market. And I, I couldn't buy the best version with uh, lots of EQ and things. But I could afford the uh, one without a proper mixer, like it looks like a cassette deck. Yeah, is it, is, it called, is it the Porter so, One that's the first one? Two, uh, I think it was uh, uh, 244 is the one with the mixer. And yes. Two, 234 or 243? No, 234 is the one without mixer, like a okay. mixer cassette deck. Mm-hmm. But the recording part is the same. Yeah. It's just uh, you know, coming with a uh, four output, four input. And a monitor output with uh, just a volume and pan of each track. Mm-hmm. I used that to record a lot of them then. Yeah. And then just brought into the rehearsal studio. And there is a, some 58 or 57. So that we use that mic and just record the band stereo, like uh, placing the drummer at the center, bassist <laughs> on the left, and <laughs> drummer on uh, guitarist on the right, and then telling them to, you know, up and down the volume and then just record <laughs> with a 257 and we had two more tracks to add vocals and keys and things like that. That's what we've done a lot. So, yeah, <clears throat> that's the very first time. Yeah. So if we kind of fast forward a little bit to, mm. to now, how does what you were doing with a four track sort of inform yeah. how have you changed what the way that you record um because i don't you know you're you're not you're not in the box you're doing things in a very analog way so how have you yeah, yeah. how have you kind of yeah. decided how far you you sort of embrace new technology and how far yeah, you keep the, it analog at that time it was i think i was very lucky generation because everything was technology was evolving in front of me so i did not know anything but no one knows much about a new thing. So you don't need to go to the school to learn from teachers. You just learn whatever came new. Yeah. So cassette photo track is one of that. And then I went into the small recording studio slash rehearsal studio, which uh, has an engineer who became my good friend and later became my engineer. Mm-hmm. He was using eight track Tascam. That was a kind of highest quality for the small studio then. And then I learned from him a lot. And then we were just real-time experiencing like a digital delay was invented. Digital delay finally came into that small studio. Yeah. Or next is a digital river was invented <laughs> and it came into the studio. It's all real-time. So yes. we are learning one by one like that. Yeah. And then, of course, for the 8-track recorder, no more than three or four mics on the drums. That's how how I learned how to mic up drums mm-hmm. and how to quickly make a good balance, the balance as a stereo, so that, you know, empty more tracks for more instrument overdubs. Mm-hmm. That's what we've done. And we have to know, like, uh, to later to make a good balance, kick and snare need to be kind of loud zone in the stereo mix of the basic tracks. Other than that, we after we added lots of things, he can see going to disappear. Mm-hmm. So those things uh, we learned every time when we tried with what we have. 
So finally, I started the studio with the 16 track. I already got enough, had enough knowledge of those things. So only thing I was not sure I can completely, you know, find to operate was a big sound desk because mm-hmm. you know <laughs> that is something new then. When I opened my studio with a big M600, which has a uh, basically the 40 inputs, yeah, with a you know, 16 bass and all the EQs and eight auxiliary sound and things like that. So. I was not sure if that is the best routing and things like that. So that I have to shadow my friend engineer how to do that and how to effects send to the effect and back and return how to do that. That's the, that is the best way of those things. So, yeah. So, Who, those things are, yeah, quite, yeah, new then, yeah. Yeah, so then now, do you, do you have sort of a preferred way of working now? Mm. How, how are yeah, you recording... Yeah. You're generally recording to tape, or are you going into you know how how do things work for you at the moment? Uh, interesting part is, I I prefer hybrid, mm-hmm. good part of both, simply because I was struggling to compete with the highest quality recording with the Tascam setup, yeah, sixteen track half inch, and. Because I tried so hard, I knew the exact limitation. What is the ceiling I can reach with the yeah. setting kind of thing? So once digital came in, the ceiling disappeared, basically. Yeah. But as soon as I completely went digital, I know something I'm missing. And I almost surely missing the feel of the tape yeah. and our tape. I didn't really mind about the console part mm-hmm. or outboard, but tape is def- definitely something I love. Sound squashed on the tape. Yeah. <laughs> Since I was a kid, I was working on a tape. So. Yeah, yeah. So, but recently, the, there's so many good tape emulation things. So I don't really mind to use those things, but mm-hmm. still, as long as I can afford for the project, the budget-wise and time frame-wise, yeah, I still booked the studio with a two-inch twenty-four track, a two-inch sixteen track, mm-hmm. to record at least the bass and drums and rhythm guitar section. Yep, and then I can add overdub forever onto the hard drive. Then after that, if I want to match the hard drive recorded track to the tape recorded track, then I can use a Universal Audio Studio, thing like that. That's what I usually do recently. Okay. Mm. So you are kind of getting best of both worlds, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need a good basis of... um, I mean, there's no... From from my sort of experience with tape, I've noticed on the drums particularly, it's got such a punchy sound to it. And you can't seem nothing I can find seems to get that. It just, it brings yeah, such yeah. a, it brings it to life. So if you're using that as to get a nice basis for the rest of everything else, yeah. it sort of makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. So I like the sound through the tape always, you know, so I'm, I don't really mind the difference for the, like a distortion guitar on the tape or distortion guitar on digital. Sometimes mm-hmm. digital better for the heavy distorted sound. But when it's come to the, attack, how to get the percussive attack on drums and things, or the bass attack. 
tamed by the tape is better than comp to things. That's yeah. somehow, yeah, that's what I like. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with you. Is there any specific, um, if we'd uh, be interested to talk through the way that you recorded a specific project, I mean, either uh, either the, the Teskey Brothers stuff or the Cash Savage tracks, um, they've got a very similar sound to them, yeah. both of them. I think the... <laughs> To talk about Teskey Brothers, yeah. talk about Sam Teskey. <laughs> He's the engineer of the Teskey Brothers, but I'm the one who taught him how to use a tape machine. Okay. <laughs> so I'm kind of responsible that I made a tape monster. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I can't say no to him. Then he asked me, then we decided to dis- make a live recording of yeah. the album the two years ago. Of course, I I did it normally. Even though the, that particular concert, I decided to go entirely analog PA and things. Mm-hmm. But still, when it comes to recording, live recording, all right, just book the digital recording, but it's a release purpose. So we cannot got any you know, mistake or mm-hmm. some, sometimes it's digital. I can't trust digital. Sometimes suddenly stop. So I have the, my friends, engineers covering the 32 track separate digital straight from the mics. Mm-hmm. And I set up from my big Midas desk from the group out to my 18 track digital system to my mm-hmm. Apple. <clears throat> then that's fine. Then Santoski called me. Can I bring in my Studer A800? <laughs> and I said, I was thinking, great. I love you saying that because yeah. I love you insisting on the tape. I love it. But as a production manager, I have to say no because I know you will record that sometimes suddenly smoke came out from the power unit. <laughs> if they that ignite, you know, sprinkler on things, the concert going to stop. So I can't say yes to that. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, they changed their mind, stepped back once, then decided to get the Alex Bennett involved. Alex is the known famously learning the only another one-inch eight-track recorder, mm-hmm. a really nice, like an old-school setup recording studio. Mm-hmm. And Alex, I know Alex machines perfectly maintenance and it's fine yeah so when alex said i'm going to come with my eight truck and we're gonna i'm gonna set up the easy bus out mixing setup at the side room then and also i'm going to set up entire mics separately okay not a separate the ride mic like i'm doing for the you know digital recording yeah he just brought in all the separate mics okay and then I love that idea. So, okay, if the Alex comes in, fine. I want to take care of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, super duper hard production to set up the analog recording studio beside the theater stage. And then we did. And then so each vocalist has two mics gaffered together. Oh, I see. That, that was the 70s style. You know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. If you see the old films, always two mics on it. One mm-hmm. for the broadcasting, one for the PA or something like that. Yeah. So we decided to go it that way. <laughs> and yeah. uh, how did it turn out? It was amazing. And then Teskey Brothers policy is just analog, so we don't edit. 
So oh, we have wow. four nights to do the show. So pick up the best take. And there must be some little mistake or something in each good take. Don't worry about it. Leave it as is. And then they brought back in eight track to the Alex's studio. And Sam and Alex work on the next down from eight track to the quarter inch track. <laughs> and they brought the quarter inch tape to the mastering studio. Fantastic. Fantastic. That fantastic. I love that concept. Yeah, they have yeah. done an amazing job. So as a person who taught Sam how to use a tape machine, I was so proud. <laughs> oh, I bet you were. I bet. I bet. Mm. How, um, how did your... So I was listening to, um, to Nozu and the oh, yeah. electronic-y, it's more electronic yes. style. So how, yeah. in terms of the way that you worked on that project, how did that um, differ? From- but again, the Orderism track, the drums, bass, and... Uh, Drum space basic percussions, all record and okay. Okay. That was to the eight hundred. Fantastic. Yeah, cool. including my CS30 triggered by the kick. CS30 making an eight eight oh eight type of kick sound, mm-hmm. and that is all live. The wow. drummers, yeah, all live. We use a click. Drummer listens to click, but all live. Excellent. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, and then we what we've done is all live recording the tape, bounce to the hard drive. Then the Nick, Nick who is the leader of Nozu, wants to edit really precise, super complicated edit he, he wants to do. Mm-hmm. So he brought in, chop, 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 those taped recorded track yeah. into the pieces. And because it's taped, it's not synced onto the grid. Yes. So we need to work with a minute second, not the bar numbers. Yes. But we did all that way. Wow. And yeah, that was all done actually, all done by Reaper. Okay. Reaper is a common format for me and Nick, so we decided to go all with Reaper. Mm-hmm. Because me and Nick is back and forth all the mixing, so we decided he doesn't have many the third-party plugins. So mostly Reaper plugin and some other free plugins or cheapish plugins so we can have it common. Yep. Then that's it. Then we just did it all those things till the end of the mix down in that way. Wow. Yeah. 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 And at the th- very, very end, uh, I think that was yeah, very, very end. So the, I did mastering as well. So me and him back and forth mixed down sending each other and then finally came came to my studio to finalize the mix down then i later did mastering but at the mastering stage finally i go through the kind of expensive the uad plugins and things like that mm-hmm. and tape emulation on dampex tape record on things yeah <clears throat> that's how it worked yeah uh, that's really cool I, I like that a lot um yeah how the sort of the common thread through a lot of what you're talking about is just using the what's available to you. Um, you know, yeah, what ge- yeah. gear is available and sort of using, yeah. um, you know, conversations I have with, with sort of clients I work with a lot is about particular plugins, getting a particular sound and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of people, yeah. um, you know, I, I speak to a lot of, um, people who, who are high up in the industry, such as yourself, who are not, no one's bothered about about particularly great plugins what do you think uh what do you think it is or could you describe 
Is it sort of a mentality that you're working with that helps it? So if you're not, if the, it's not the gear, uh, then what is it? One thing I can say is from my you know, kids' days, I love the sound, recording the sound, making the sound with the synthesizer, or even recording lots of sound and mash it up and things. I love those sound. I'm entirely into the sound, but I never went into what's inside the box. Yes. I, I never been interested in hardware side. So lots of my friend engineers always talking about because you know the knee pre has such a such content inside, blah blah blah. I'm never interested in that. No. <laughs> yeah. So that that's probably the key, I think. So I only interested in the sound. Mm-hmm. And whatever you have, there's the possibility you can make something very interesting sound out of it. And I don't care what you're using, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So only time I kind of care about, not what's inside, but particular plugin or particular borders, only time I care about those things is when it's come to the particular mastering, mm-hmm. then I struggle if I don't have my favorite plugins or both and speakers and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I once needed to do a super hard job. I think it was just before pandemic, so I started 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> do you know the band called the Roaring Blackouts? Uh, I can't say I do, know, but I'll check them out. So Roaring Blackouts. Roaring Blackouts, Coastal oh, Fever. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of big-ish worldwide, yep. the Melbourne band. Mm-hmm. The, I found them here. Yeah, I'm on. I'm on your website while we're chatting, so I've found, I've seen. Them I'm going <laughs> to um, check so all the, of these out. I've been working as a mastering engineer for all their record because yeah. uh, that band started as a kind of side project of lots of other band famous guys, mm-hmm. including Joe White of the Cat Savage and uh, Last Things. Mm-hmm. So Joe once asked me to. Very early days, asked me to produce the EP, but I was too busy for Cash's recording. So my friend produced it, but uh, I offered them I can at least do the mastering. Since then, I've been doing all the record mastering of theirs. And then usually I have the particular pass for the mastering, mostly the UAD plugins. But <clears throat> last year, when I was flying, into Japan for my half family, half job trip for a week. Mm-hmm. I was waiting at Hong Kong airport change flight. Then their manager emailed me, could you master this new thing in three days? Oh. <laughs> I, said, I just replied him, I'm at the Hong Kong airport. Could you wait until I come back? And they said, no, it needs to be released by Monday. Whoa. <laughs> That's... That's insane. So what yeah. <laughs> I need to do is luckily I had my laptop and I had my dongles for all the software, but I didn't have a UAD hardware. Mm-hmm. So I can't use any UAD plugins. So I could manage to book my friend's studio in Tokyo. Yeah. And when in there, okay, I have to do the mastering without my usual plugins. How can I work out? <laughs> so, and then... 
because I've done that, I have to say it is super hard. And then I'm not particularly advertising, but I have to say some of those, un, when it's come to the analog emulation, the quality of the UAD plugin is a kind of a bit over other plugins. Yes. So I had a top quality waves plugins or native instruments or sound toys, everything in my computer except for UADs that I struggle to reach the same quality sound. So, wow, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I made it though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. later for the it was singles. So later when that song is going to the album, I demastered that with a usual Um you mentioned in your email uh I hope I'm pronouncing his name his name right there, uh, Makoto Kubota. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your mentor. Could you talk a little yeah. bit? I checked out the album that you you recommended and it's it's yeah. oh, I love it. So it's um yeah. it's sort of opened up a whole different world of music for me now. I'm I'm uh, I'm delving yeah. deep yeah. into this stuff. Yeah, uh, could you could you talk about um working with him and what he you know, sort of how he uh you know how yeah, he taught yeah. you? Yeah, basically I just you know I, I've been a big fan of his work when I was young. And I ended up when I was, I think, start with when I was working for the Singaporean artist called Dick Lee. He has been a top singer songwriter in Singapore, but Singapore is quite small. Mm-hmm. So he was not worldwide known till the Makoto Kubota found him. And uh, Makoto Kubota basically introduced him to the Japanese market and he became huge. So I worked for him, and during that work, I knew that Makoto is the guy behind him. And then later, uh, when I worked with, I think, yeah, I think when I was working with Dick Lee, that I came across him uh, and his wife then, that the Sandy, they, they were in the band called Sandy and Sunset then, and the Sunny and Sunset was big in Australia in the 80s, actually. Mm-hmm. So my wife knew them <clears throat> as a young kid. Yeah. So when I met them at the backstage, my wife was quite excited. And I <laughs> found out we are actually kind of living close to each other, like oh, 20 cool. minutes out on the train or something like that. So we, we visited him, had a dinner together and things like that. And um, his setup was a two-inch, 24-track with a kind of bigish maki desk or something like that. And then <clears throat> he's been working on so many different type of music. And then he's always like, he's a great engineer, but not by like those academic knowledge and nothing. He's just, his sense. Yes. Yeah. You know, the... Yellow Magic Orchestra. The, yes, yeah. Yeah, so the him and the Yellow Magic Orchestra are very close. So the him and the Harumi Hosono had an album together and things like that a lot. So, and then I think, uh, what's it? Yeah, so basically the he taught me lots of those timing on the, you know, how not technically, but how to work out music production like a, more like mentally, 
Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest point. Yeah, I think so. He worked a lot with uh, Sly and Robbie. Yep. And uh, he's the one who taught Sly and Robbie how to use MPC60. Okay. Yeah. So kind of interesting story. Yeah. He brought MPC60 for the recording session with Sly and Robbie. And they were very interested in that. So he was kind of endorsed by that guy. So he decided, oh, you can have it. <laughs> <I'm gonna laughs> get it. <laughs> That's how the Shrine Dobby started that hip hop production. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. So he's a yeah. big part of the reason that you're, you're kind of big on feel and instinct. Feel. And then also the, his logic about sound is all from the ear. That's yeah. probably the most important part. Yeah. So, yeah, he loved the cassette tape sound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, what, yeah um, one day, like uh, recently, like a few years back, I, I think I, I visited his concert and he was putting the, I think, U47 at the gig. Wow. For the acoustic guitar. Yeah. On stage. <laughs> <laughs> Usually it's, it's too scary. That must oh, yeah. be that, you know. <laughs> yeah. but he, oh, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> he did perfect sound. Amazing, know. amazing. <laughs> you know, that kind of guy. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's even academic person. You you don't do that. No, <laughs> you don't do that. No, I don't do that. <laughs> amazing. Yeah, amazing. So. <laughs> Um, uh, so final, final couple of, uh, of questions. What, what have you got coming up? What are you working on now? Have you got any projects that you, uh, you'd like to mention? Yeah, because of the lockdown things, a lot of things are postponed, postponed, postponed. That you can expect, so particularly in the UK, the young band called Clam, mm-hmm. C-L-A-M-M, they, uh, they released the first EP through UK label and got quite big reputation. Okay. And their new album is all mastered, done, and we are looking for releasing it. But I don't know when, but okay. yeah, you can wait for that. It's going to be huge. And it's somehow, I produced it, but also I played some synths on it as well. Oh, cool. Excellent. Yeah, it's a quite nice three-piece young punk band. Yeah. yeah. I'll really good one. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, hopefully, the test is going to make something new next year or something. Mm-hmm. And Cash Savage is making new things very soon. So the ho- with the hope of finally go back to Europe. We've yeah. been touring Europe a couple of years ago, but everything postponed after that. So, yeah. yeah and uh, I think tough. the new Rolling Blackouts thing somehow coming. I can't say any time, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll, I, I, we'll I know how it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So then finally, I always ask everybody this, if you were to, so a lot of the people listening to this, there's a big mixture of, um, you know, there's people who've got fully full big setup studios. And then there's a lot of people who have a, a home recordists. Yeah, if yeah, you yeah. were to offer any advice on recording just in general, or, you know, just a, a general advice that you've learned, what's the, you know, so maybe it's a, a two, two part question, you know, what's the best advice you've been given perhaps just in general and what advice would you give recording wise um, for people who are at home doing this kind of thing? Yeah. Just one thing I can say is the, 
Once, one, one day I, I was asked by the home recorders, what is the best sounding speaker for the home recording? Okay. And I have to say, that is a frequently asked question for the home recorders. Okay. There is no such a thing. <laughs> I know that if, even the one same speaker, if you moved 20 centimeter left or right, sounds completely different. So don't food by the name of the gear or the brand or whatever. When it comes to speaker, your room is a part of the speaker and you have to experience to reach to whatever you think you've good, you know, mm-hmm. sounding good. Yeah. <laughs> so look after your room, make sure that your room is good and don't worry yeah, too yeah, much yeah. about the speaker. So, yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a one thing. Yeah, the people, so including that speaker thing, the biggest advice I can tell the home recorders is just learn about what you have first before buying something new. That is yes. probably the biggest thing because so many people now, you know, hundreds of plugins coming free or something like that, but most of the people doesn't know much about any of them. <laughs> it's overwhelming, <laughs> isn't it? You know, everything's so yeah. easily available now. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, was, I was guilty of the exact same thing. You know, I first, when I got Logic sort of 10 years ago, Somebody yeah. gave me uh, cracked yeah. versions of all the Waves plugins, and I had yeah, yeah, yeah. must have had 150 plugins, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Had no idea what I was doing. Um, <laughs> I know. And then I uh, actually I lost them all because I bought yeah. um, I paid for a plugin, <laughs> when, and, um, and then yeah. all of my the ones I'd got cracked disappeared, yeah. and that was probably the yeah. best thing that ever happened to me because <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, yeah. yeah. I thought, well, what actually do I use? Yeah. And I, I probably, yeah, yeah. I bought three or four and that's that, yeah. you know, now I've only got, yeah. I don't yeah. have many at all. And I, yeah, I love it. That's it. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for speaking with me. It's been no, such thank a, you so much for inviting me. Yeah. No, not at all. It's a, uh, the, the way that you, your sort of approach to everything is really inspiring. It's made me, you know, I'm going to go and listen to a lot of these records again now with fresh ears, <laughs> having heard you talking about them. And it's, it's, uh, yeah. I think it's it's inspiring to um, to be told to use your ears, even though it's something it yeah. seems obvious, but it's uh, yeah, it's really important. Ah, and the one last thing, I like the live recording. Oh yeah. Rather than fixing everything. Yes, agreed. agreed. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Cash Savage's current newest release is a live recording during the pandemic. Okay. No audience in the theater, big theater. We recorded entirely live, but I never made anything as live as that one because including a test case usually we record a few takes you know pick up the best one she didn't do that just record one like completely connected all songs one hour oh wow finished it and the film crew said so which part do you want to retake and she said no it's done done we don't do anything anymore (laughs) that's it that is exactly as is no fixing as is on the record. I so that, yeah. I have to say they are the best live one ever because wow. I've never done with anybody else like that. So. Oh, amazing. <laughs> well, I, can't, I can't wait to hear that. That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Oh, excellent. Mm. Um, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Right, I'll, I'll let you crack on. Yeah, thank you again. I really Thanks. appreciate it. Um, thank you so much. So there we have it, Now Anzai, and you can check out his uh, website, which is toysofnoise.net, um, and he has a 
sort of client list that he's worked with, which I would urge you to go and uh, check out and, and sort of read through. There's also links to the studios that he likes to work out of, which is Real to Real Mix Master, um, which is his own personal studio, I think. And then he also uses Rolling Stock Recording Room in Melbourne. Um, and even if you know, live in Australia, I mean, I, I like poking around <laughs> recording studios websites. It's kind of nice to to look at some uh, some gear picks and just see how different studios operate. So yeah, go and check those out. Um, and also do go and check out uh, the Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever. Um, find Clam uh, on Facebook or Instagram and check them out when the new album comes out. Um, I would also recommend going to listen to the Teskey Brothers, Cash Savage and Nozu, which is N-O-Z-U. Um, all different stuff, but given what we talked about in this episode, they're the things that I would absolutely go and listen to. Um, and the microphones that he talked about, if you hadn't made notes of them, was the Rode NT3. Uh, that's and synthesizer. Synth- the synthesizer was the Yamaha CS30, so you can go and, uh, go and check those out. Um, please do also go and check out Mojo Cables. Uh, I'd really appreciate that. And I think you'll probably be hearing a bit more about that at the beginning of every episode. So, <laughs> um, sorry, not sorry, essentially. <laughs> okay. So, um, if you'd like to get in contact with me, you can do that through my website. All you need is drums.com. Um, there's a, a contact list there. Um, and I'm also on Instagram at all you need is drums. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you to Rory Hancock for uh, sorting out the podcast for me. Thank you to Joe Kane for the intro and outro music and to David Henshaw for the lovely artwork he supplies. Um, you guys have a fantastic week and I will see you next Tuesday. Goodbye. Goodbye.